The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Mike Snoonian. And Laura is unable to join us today, but she will be back next week for more talk about dreams. But we are joined by a very special guest today. He is a writer and co-host of the Kill by Kill podcast, Patrick Hamilton. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And so this is a comfort horror episode, and we define comfort horror as the scary movies that bring us joy. And I am so excited to talk about our movie today because it was a first watch for me. Patrick, what film did you choose? The 1981 Canucksploitation slasher classic, Happy Birthday to Me. Hey, I'm so excited. Happy birthday. I feel like we need to sing. But before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis in case you haven't seen Happy Birthday to Me or it's been a while. So here is your spoiler warning. It looks just like a regular spoiler, but it's actually been your secret little dead sister spoiler this whole time. A high school student named Bernadette is going to hang out at The Silent Woman, an inn they all hang out in. She's part of a popular club called The Top Ten. Mrs. Winston, the school's headmistress, and her dog do not approve. Bernadette gets in the car and is strangled from behind by someone with black gloves. She manages to get away and hides among the cars, but then comes face to face with someone she knows and is relieved. Ha! Ah, until she sees the straight razor in their hand, the mysterious killer slits her throat. At the end, a bunch of kids, the top 10, are annoyed by all the drunkies. To be fair, they are singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. One of the high school kids has a mouse in his pocket. Hashtag not a euphemism. And one of them is Mary from Little House on the Prairie. Um, they piss off all the old guys, then run out for some drag racing. And by drag racing, I mean jumping the town's drawbridge. The last guy to jump goes way too late and really fucks up his car. Virginia is a passenger in said car and very scared, being a sane person, and she tries to bail out. Once the car stops, she immediately bolts and visits her mother's grave. Someone watches from the shadows, wearing the killer's black gloves. Jenny tells her mother she'd be so proud of her. All the kids like her now. Jenny runs away, but some creepy guy named Etienne offers to walk her home. She's not into it. He follows her and creeps around outside her house, then sneaks in her window. At home, she talks to her dad, who's worried about her. Something traumatic happened to do with her mother, and she's been repressing it, but she's trying to get better, and thinks living in the house will help. Jenny puts some generic disco music on and changes clothes while Etienne watches from her closet. She's getting ready to take a shower when she realizes someone is there, but he's already escaped through the window. The next day at school, Virginia and Anne are late. The class is getting a lecture about last night's ruckus from the mean lady from the night before, Miss Winston. Their science teacher seems pretty cool, maybe a little staticky, except they're doing some kind of experiment applying static electricity to the nerve of a frog's leg. This triggers a flashback for Virginia. 
She's in a hospital with bandages on her head. She's jerking around as the brain's tissue rebuilds itself. She's been in a coma for months. Then she sits up and says, My birthday. Later in therapy, she says she was an experiment. She was the first to have her brain tissue restored. Eventually, she will remember the accident. The next day, they're at a motocross event. The yellow rider, Etienne, drives someone off the road, then wins. Hooray! Later, the killer with black gloves walks down an extremely dirty staircase into a motorcycle garage. Etienne is fixing his wheel when the killer grabs his scarf and throws it into the spinning wheel, then revs the engine. It melts up his face. But that's Scarf Safety 101. Never wear a scarf next to a spinning wheel. Duh. Tracy and Virginia break into Alfred's house. He's kind of into taxidermy and making face sculptures. Turns out he also has Bernadette's head on his desk. Then Alfred appears from the shadows and gives off major I'm the killer vibes before pulling out one of Bernadette's eyes. Turns out it's not a real head. It's a red herring head. <laughs> the next day, Miss Watson asks Jenny if she knows where Bernadette is. She says that because they're all rich, they're also super spoiled and gives Jenny detention for, I guess, not knowing where her disappeared friend is. Some of the guys get in a fight after the group goes to the movies the next night. There's tension among the group, you know, because they keep getting murdered. Later on, one of the blonde boys, I think Greg, is doing some bench presses. The killer comes to talk to him. It's someone he knows. But who? The killer puts on a ton more weight, then moves the bar that he sets the weight back down on, then drops another weight right on his dick. He drops the weight and the bar cuts his throat. Holy shit. It's kind of awesome. Amelia later shows up with pizza, but Greg is gone. But the weights are all stacked up behind the door and they almost fall on top of her. The next day, Rudy scores the winning goal at a soccer game. Steve wins a lot of money. These are all people of the top 10 I don't think I've mentioned before. Um, Virginia kisses Alfred in celebration, but then Rudy asks her out. It's all very confusing. Virginia and Rudy's date seems to be him being very creepy at the chapel's bell tower. She's not that into it. Virginia was here at Crawford for a few weeks, four years ago, and says they've all forgotten about her. Then Rudy gets really weird and pulls out a knife, mentions cutting the bell rope almost all the way through. Then he goes closer and we see blood on the floor. Later, a church guy pulls the rope and it falls, having been cut. There's blood on it. So now it seems that Rudy is dead. Virginia runs through the hospital and sees a body. Then she has another flashback of having really upsetting brain surgery, like melt my face off upsetting brain surgery. Her brain is swelling. In therapy, she remembers that someone killed a part of her brain and she's remembered the operation. Cops are investigating at school. Dr. Faraday is there too, asking Virginia what happened. They found Etienne's scarf buried in the garden outside, or maybe it's just a random school scarf, not totally clear, along with a skull from the science lab. Then, holy shit, Rudy's body falls from the balcony, except he's just kidding. He cut his hand on the rope, but is still totally alive and not super funny. Virginia tells David that her birthday is Sunday and she wants to invite him to dinner. Dun, dun, dun. Later, the remaining kids are smoking pot. Looks like Rudy and Virginia are together. Rudy's other woman floats by in the window of the pool. It looks like she's dead, but she's not. She's just swimming. Virginia runs out and drives home seconds before seeing that she's alive. Turns out this also triggers a flashback where she remembers drowning as part of the accident. Virginia goes to visit her mother's grave. Alfred is watching from the shadows. 
He sneaks up behind her wearing the black gloves, then reaches into his pocket to get something. But before he can, she stabs him. He falls to the ground and we see what was in his pocket was a rose for her because he loves her. Or he did. He's dead now. Now they're at the dance. Everyone is dancing away. After the dance, Virginia and Steve hang out by the fire. She makes him a skewer, and when he's about to eat it, shoves it into his mouth. He's dead. Later, while taking a shower, Jenny remembers the accident. Her mother is drinking and driving. She's mad at her dad, who's kind of sucks. They're driving during the rain, and they stop the car on the drawbridge, and it falls into the water below. While she's in the shower, she realizes that Anne is dead. She and David talk about, David is the therapist. She and David talk about what happened. He asks what all the dead kids have to do with it. He thinks it's locked up in her past and she has to try to remember. So she does. It's her birthday. This is a flashback. Her mother is planning a party and has invited six of the richest people in town. It's all the kids from the top 10. But no one's there. Also, her father calls and says he can't make it home from the weekend. No one is coming to her party and her mother is very mad. So Virginia breaks it to her mother that no one is coming to this party. And none of the kids even really know who she is. There's another party at Anne's that night, and that's where they all are. In the rain, her mom yells at Anne's house. She's a rich woman now, and she's back to shove it in their faces. She won't be bought off ever again. After telling David all of this, Virginia beats him to death with a fire poker. Virginia's dad gets home with birthday presents and sees all the blood. Then he implores the heavens about his daughter. He thinks she's the one who's dead. He runs to the cemetery in the pouring rain and sees her standing in her mother's grave. Except it's not her. It's the girl standing there with a present in her hand. I think it's Amelia. Dad finds a coffin dug up and opens it. David's dead body is on the ground next to it. Dad sees a cabin nearby with a light on. Inside, he finds the cobwebs of their old birthday party, the one that no one came to. Apparently, they just never came back. The lights are off, and they're all sitting around the table. The exhumed body of her mother is there. Jenny starts singing happy birthday to me and brings in her cake. All the dead bodies of the people she invited and have killed throughout the course of the movie are posed around the table in party hats. She picks up a knife and tells him, her father, he kept his promise to her. He came to her birthday party. He sits down and she puts a hat on him. She makes a wish, then blows out the candles. Dad says he had no choice but to do the medical treatments. Then she cuts his throat. But there's another girl there and she looks exactly like Jenny. She's her little sister. And this is when I say, what? She's wearing the same dress as Jenny, but then she rips her face off and is actually Anne dressed as Jenny. She's the real killer. She's been drugging Jenny and pretending to be her while she kills. They are half sisters. Jenny's mom was her father's mistress, and that's why her father left. Anne tries to stab Jenny, but Jenny stabs and kills Anne. Just then, the cops show up, and it looks like she's the one who did everything. Happy birthday to me, indeed. So now let's do a feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with Happy Birthday to Me and how we feel when we watch it. And Patrick, would you kick us off, please? Yeah, I. this is, uh, I'm not entirely sure why Happy Birthday to Me holds the mental space in my head that it does. But I'm sure it, it was me obsessing over the VHS box for this, which was mm-hmm. a reproduction of the film's poster. And it's just one of those evocative uh, images 
that sort of sears its way into your brain. The mm-hmm. idea of being punctured through the mouth with a uh, skewer of meat <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> and the promise of, quote, six of the most bizarre murders. Um, it just, it uh, energized me. Like, I, I spent so much time wondering what this movie actually was. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, I watched it and, and you're like, you're going through it and like, oh, that's fun. Okay. This is a little long. Okay. That scene in the bell tower. That's odd. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I uh-huh. don't understand her relationship with her psychologist. Um, her dad almost tries to kiss her at one point. All right. This is, <laughs> it, it escalates and escalates and escalates. And you're like, okay, this is the fun movie. And then mm-hmm. it's just one of those films that hits a third act gear shift mm-hmm. that is incredible. It just, it's <laughs> uh-huh. such a fantastic, what the fuck just happened uh, mm-hmm. ending that uh, it elevates it so much. And there's, it's not the only one that kind of has this. There's just before dawn, there's house on sorority roads, killer party. I'm sure people at home are shouting at the top of their <laughs> lungs to fill in theirs as well but Uh it's just one of those things that only exploitation films can really accomplish because they can swing for the fences there's Mm -hmm. nothing holding them back it's not like they've got all the budget in the world you have to make an impression some way and the truly bonkers third act reveal is (laughs) is something that's so unique to it and Every time I watch it, I just get this warm, fuzzy feeling of how melodramatic <laughs> everything is. It's it, <laughs> the idea that they, the mom, after they have hit the water, sends her daughter up, like swim up to the surface, honey. And it just so happens to be when a boat's coming across and her head gets chopped open <laughs> by the propeller. I mean, come on. What uh. other movie is doing this? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Kramer versus Kramer, I believe. <laughs> exactly. It's 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 giving your child ice cream for dinner. That child bonks their head on a passing <laughs> propeller. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's and it's funny because you think that like the reveal is gonna be like just this staged party. And then there's yeah. the whole like secret sister reveal, which is just so fantastic. And yeah. it's just like Oh my gosh. And I, I, full disclosure, I have a hard time keeping character names straight too. Sure. So like I, in my synopsis, I had been writing Tracy the whole time because her name was, because uh, that's the actress's name. And then she starts right. talking about Anne. I'm like, who the fuck is Anne? Because I knew the face. And I was like, what is going on? And it's just the best way. So, um, all right. Mike, <laughs> what about you? It's better than Moribus, which um, <laughs> Morbius. I haven't more. I haven't seen that movie, but I also have never had my scrotum run over by an ATV, and I don't need to have that done to know I wouldn't enjoy it. No, it's it's funny because I think I bought this when it came out on DVD, like way back in '04, uh, and it was like literally the cover of it that was like I need to own this. It was the now skewer. was it the DVD the cover that they redid where they've transposed a very odd woman whose eyes are so demon green that they're crossed or it wasn't was it... that because that's the cover of the video on demand one i purchased for oh, five okay. bucks like yeah this was weird. on sale on apple for five bucks recently and i'm sure. like 
you know what? For five, but I've spent my five dollars on far stupider things. You know, so I, that's how I first that? saw Killer Party. Was like they exactly. had it on sale for five dollars. I'm mm-hmm. like, how can I turn this down? I had no idea what I was walking into. Um, it, you know, it's I, I kid, but it's there's some really fun bits to it. It's not totally my jam, but what works really works. Uh, it was the skewer cover, and then the most bizarre. And I think it was the O four. It was the most six of the most bizarre murders you'll ever see. And yeah. I, I think it was 04 that I bought this. I know there were two DVD releases. There was the 04 one, which replaced the soundtrack, and then mm-hmm. the 09 one, which restored like the original score and soundtrack. But I, I think it was 04. It seems I seem to remember being single when I watched this movie. <laughs> and afterwards, you got I gotta find someone in I this world to <laughs> commune with, to, to live under the same house with, to exactly. keep me uh, from my secret sister who's going to murder me. Exactly. <laughs> sure. And there are things about it, like I'll say, my I think my biggest complaint with it is it violates my ninety minutes or less rule because uh, yeah. this is like yeah. an hour and fifty one long, and there are points where uh you really feel it like i think it's about 48 minutes in before the first like set piece kill of the movie goes down what i do really appreciate about this movie is it's one of those early slashers before everything became like codified yeah. where you have like all right your mass killer and you know your quippy teens and then someone takes off their shirt and then like stab 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 and then we'll make 20 of these where they were trying to make a real movie. Yes. It's just like they're they're trying to make like four different movies at this one. Like <laughs> at one point they're on dirt bikes and I'm like, oh, we're watching Rad. And then they're like <laughs> jumping, they're jumping over like uh, bridges, uh, drawbridges. And I'm like, oh, it's like Rebel Without a Cause at this point. I'm like, what is going on here? But I do appreciate how this feels like a real movie. Like there's, I like the characters you spend time with. They're a bunch of spoiled, entitled, like whiny, like, you know, prep school white kids. Um, yeah. I actually would love to see this crew get in a street fight with the crew from uh, My Bloody Valentine. Like, oh, they, they would they would wipe the hallways with them. It's not even <laughs> funny. I, yeah. Their their fight inside of the the silent lady by the way the silent lady was like one of one of the least most obvious uh sort of catch-all bar names in the entire mm-hmm. world you might as well call it the, the slaughtered lamb but mm-hmm. they get into a tussle <laughs> with a group of shiners right. and a tussle is perhaps putting too heavy a weight on it as sort of as a fight i mean there's a couple of shoves and everyone's just too drunk to move properly right. And my thought was like, they're high schoolers, right? Yes. Yeah, they're like, see, yes. I thought for a while they served. were college yeah. students. Yeah. But, well, it's filmed at McGill College. So it's mm-hmm. a very grand looking campus. Yeah. It is a mm-hmm. private school of a prep school, as it were. So there's a more of an air of you've come mm-hmm. here and you've been selected to go to school yeah. here. So mm-hmm. it, it's weird. And then you can, you kind of conflate it with the whole Friday the 13th trope of a bunch of teenagers when Friday the mm-hmm. 13th is not teenagers. They are young adults. They're like college and older. Right. Like they mm-hmm. own their own cars. They're doing this as a summer gig in between things, but they're not teens. Right. And, mm-hmm. but these actors are the same fucking age. Like Matt Craven is doing this, like a biscuit after meatballs. And he was supposedly <laughs> in high school and that like there. <laughs> so 
everyone in these movies in terms of like melissa sue anderson like this is her big adult breakout Mm -hmm. um you know i can i can be in adult movies i'm not a little house in the prairie actor anymore (laughs) but the little house in the prairiness that melodrama is what works in this movie and yeah Mm -hmm. i agree you could cut 10 minutes out of this movie like so fast Mm -hmm. maybe even 15 but Mm -hmm. it does actually do that thing that i love about friday the 13th and it's a little bit on steroids here which is you're barely with these characters until the moment they die you're Mm -hmm. just it's mainly you're one person's jenny's story and their satellites revolving around it but they all have to decide what am I going to do to stand out? Like how right. will people remember my name when it's time for scissors to be, you know, put up my jaw or an ax in my head, even though that's cut out in the final film, they're trying to figure it out in real time and make choices. And that's <laughs> what I love. Like those choices are mm, chef's kiss. It, mm-hmm. it does some of the things in slashers when they're like trying to play the who done it aspect yeah. of that i like like when a character when the killer walks in and a character's like oh it's you you like i don't think anyone uh-huh. has ever said that in a, a natural way like that's, that's not a normal conversation no. <laughs> they're trying so desperately to figure out how to have a conversation mm-hmm. with someone who naturally you would refer to by their name right. and they're like mm-hmm. and that other person is stone fucking silent while mm-hmm. they're you know right <laughs> yeah murdering them murdering them <laughs> wearing black gloves yeah oh Ugh. the giallo of this i think is another lovely element i mean mm-hmm. it's aping things i don't like jaylee thompson goes on to direct some very sleazy 80s stuff with particularly 10 to midnight which has a naked killer running around los angeles <laughs> and like kinjite forbidden subjects just weird trashy junk mm-hmm. but he's got an eye He's he's enveloping this in um, a real movie. Like when you sort of read reviews from this, it came out uh, in the same month as Friday the 13th Part 2 and The Burning. And mm, so I just think mm-hmm. they all ate one another's audience. Like none mm-hmm. of these things could break out because there's just too much product. Mm-hmm. And one of the digs at this movie was like, there's no directorial voice. It just seems anonymous. And you're like, did you watch the same movie I did when she has flashbacks and the whole room goes red and it starts to tilt off to the mm-hmm. side? Like that's filmmaking, baby. There is lots of filmmaking in this movie. Uses of shadow and blacks and mm-hmm. it just, it, it, um, yeah, it's junk, but it's great <laughs> junk. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. you definitely see where James Wan might've gotten some direction or some inspiration for malignant here in terms of like the bonkersness of it like the brain surgery kind of the shades of giallo that come in here and just Mm -hmm. the like how many things can we throw into the blender before we hit the puree button Uh, you can see where like this would easily be an influence on like a a slasher like malignant which is a good thing and that third act is just something (laughs) else my friends yeah really there is nothing quite like it and yeah i that's why i it was the first movie we could, outside of Friday the 13th we covered on mm-hmm. uh, Kill by Kill. Mm-hmm. Specifically because, you know, both Gene and I have a soft spot for it. But it is such an excellent example of what you can do when 
you're not worried about hitting a particular formula. Mm-hmm. And it's grandiose. It's operatic. The performances here just start to hit the back row and it's, it's swinging baby. And mm-hmm. if only they hadn't been forced to cut the bigger gore moments, mm-hmm. I think this would be remembered a lot higher up the echelon of mm-hmm. slashers. Whereas now, because uh, my bloody Valentine has been completely restored to its grotastic heights. People will have a, a higher estimation of that film, although the central romance does not work for me. But there's a lot of things that carry it above. And this is that as well. I just feel like people need to give this movie a lot more of their time and attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had like seen this cover for years and years and years, and I kind of fell in love with slashers with Scream. So... I was not particularly ever really drawn to the covers that like kind of highlight the kills or the gore, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's usually not what I was approaching slashers for. And so it usually would have to be like a reason for me to go back and watch one of the older slashers like it's Friday the 13th. So I'm going to watch that. And now that's one of my favorites because I just I really love this 80s slasher vibe, you know, and I always think it's going to be way more violent than it is or way more like gory than it is. And it usually isn't. but. So I'd seen this for years and just never really watched it, but I was, and I put it on and I loved it. And I could see this becoming like a background watch for me in the same way that Friday the 13th is, you know, because there's, there's like a soothing quality to it. I feel like the score is very, like, it's very cinematic, like kind of in quotation marks in a lot of ways, you know, like it feels like a fully committed movie. And one of the things I loved about it is like none of the set pieces felt cheap to me or felt like half-assed you know like the the cemetery scene it was giving me all the spooky cemetery vibes and then like I was like obsessed with her bedroom and just like that curtain that's got the half closet you know or this Mm. bathroom I was like is that a bidet why is there a curtain like there's so (laughs) many visual details in this that like really drew me in whereas I feel like a lot of like cheaper films sometimes that's where they'll half-ass you know and here it's like the the weightlifting scene was even that was so cool like all of the deaths I feel like they fully commit to making it something interesting to watch you know so even though it doesn't right exactly yeah it doesn't feel like it totally like fits within the same universe but it feels like everything is complete it just feels like a bunch of complete thoughts kind of strung together in a kind of quasi coherent way which i love and then i had completely forgotten as we were talking about about the whole brain surgery thing which yeah. That really bothered me. Like I have that's my scar phobia thing. Like that is well, like the staples and the cutout like of her head. Like the exorcist. It's shit. just so clinical Ooh, uh-huh. that I think it's be- I think it becomes the most horrifying moment in the entire thing. It and was, yeah. I, the I don't think the MPAA could go like, well, this brain surgery scene is so much that you have to cut that. And they're like, it's kind of intrinsic to the plot. And they're like, okay, well, this lady doesn't get an ax in the head and there's no way you can show that guy's head going through the spokes of a motorcycle. And they picked their poison. Um, So where it kind of like pulls back from, and this was kind of in motion when Friday the 13th was actually filming. So it's not like they could up their ante after the fact, but um, you know, 
it's that surgery scene. It just, it, it, it harkens on that whole white coat phenomenon where your Mm -hmm. heart rate starts to spike when you're in the room with a physician. Mm -hmm. It has that element. And yeah, you could, uh, there are trims that could be made, but boy, Mm -hmm. for an hour and 50 minute movie that you would think would be a cheap slasher. Like, it really swings for the fences. Mm-hmm. And I never found myself bored because it was always something like visually interesting. Like even the rain scene where he's running through, like digging the coffin, that just looks really good, you know? And I feel like it was consistently interesting because it kept giving me so many different things, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, and the theme song at the end, like I... I wish we had more theme songs at the end of movies it, now. There are very you know? few plot raps that are done exactly. by singer-songwriters. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we've so often heard this from a band like Dawkins or, mm. you know, <laughs> the Fat Boys uh, when it comes to the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Like, there's a lot uh, of plot raps there. Um, yeah. But, or like Yellow Cool J, you know, everyone's yeah, song is 90s. Exactly. Some deepest, bluest. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but this uh, has this sort of wreck of the uh, Fitzgerald sort of <laughs> dramatics to it. Like, just mm-hmm. uh, I, I wish this had been nominated for an Oscar in the best uh, <laughs> song category because the idea of this being sung in front of a group of people, uh, I, I find endlessly entertaining as an idea. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because you've heard this theme song throughout the movie. And then to hear like the happy birthday lyrics applied to it. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) And it really has a very, um, I think maybe this is part of the reason I dug it so much. It's got this real urban legend kind of um, Fear Street kind of vibe to me. Like these feel like teen horror deaths, but just like such a wide, interesting array of them. It's like, this is awesome. Like any of these could be their own little vignettes, you know, and and, that I would read the shit out of. So, and I love how strong they end up making our central villain. You don't really know who it is until the very end, but the very idea that this slight woman Mm -hmm. (laughs) has been carrying out a series of murders and then going, wait, I got to get this body across town and just like (laughs) comes equipped with a fucking wheelbarrow. Like, how does this happen? And, It's a cinematic tradition that continues like the Saw series is filled with magic chloroform and transporting bodies. It's a Canadian tradition, I think. And Saw (laughs) needs to cut this movie a fucking check. Well, there's the barbell that's in the corner when the character walks in and it like tips over. And I'm like, you have to drag that thing across the room and then be able to like body that thing up and tuck it into the corner. That ain't easy. This is something this this bodybuilder man could barely hold up. (laughs) And he couldn't even throw it over the back of his head. Or like, just roll it down his chest and sit up. Right. She dug up a corpse and the coffin. Yeah. And just (laughs) just left it out there. Where did she have time to do this? Why is the cottage, the cottage that they own and the house that they own, but the property in between is a graveyard? Where is this house? Like, it just, when you, if you think about it, it all breaks down. But that's not what movies are for. You don't come to happy birthday to me for realism. Right. 
And it's just all so over the top that you're like, all right, you're on Gossamer wings. Just take me off. Right. This is yeah. the kind of movie, like one of the things I have uh, an after school gig now where I play Monster of the Week, which is a role playing game. Like a, It's based on things like Buffy or Supernatural. Sure. And I, I get paid to like play this game with like middle school kids. So it's like almost like the Dungeons and Dragons light. So if you know if you're like the game master uh, of, you know, or the the dungeon master, you have to create the scenarios like this is the kind of movie where you could adapt the scenario from this movie and set up a mystery based on like the locations, the layout, the setup and the wackiness of it um, and easily adapt it into like an RPG session just for fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The the audacity of this film, because the tradition kind of is if you come even from um uh black christmas or halloween is it's a one location film right Mm -hmm. we've all gone off to a cabin in the woods we've all been hired at this summer camp it is halloween night and some of us are hanging out with our boyfriends and some of us have been hired to babysit but we're all across the street from one another they're Mm -hmm. tiny this takes place over multiple days Leading up to a prom, which is not the focal point of the movie. <laughs> like, there's everyone has been handed Giallo gloves, which is the the scream boots of this movie. Mm. And the the police are involved. They dig up a skull at one point. Like, there's so much investigation in this. And meanwhile, our villain is like, I don't know. I have an endless supply of rubber face masks and I can kiss people when it doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, that was bizarre. Like I was fully expecting, oh, evil twin. That's great. I love that reveal. And then to find out that it's not even an evil twin. It's like this whole half sister thing, which with I want to talk about the mom plot, too, because sure. that whole thing is bizarre. Because, OK, so the the underlying motivation, let me see if I have gotten this clear, is that. Virginia's mom had an affair with Anne's dad and they are half sisters. And so then I was like, oh, is this like scream? Is this Billy's motivation? Because Anne's dad, no, Anne's mom left because of this half sister thing. So for this whole time, she's been befriending Virginia to try to enact this birthday party revenge thing to frame Virginia for a birthday party murder because they all forgot about her birthday party four years ago, right? Yeah. And the mom is mad because everybody in town is rich except for her, and that's why Anne's dad didn't want to make her his, like, live-in or something, right? Yeah, there's definitely, like, there's a a history where, like, somehow she... (laughs) And yeah, I'm not entirely sure what their common parent is. Exactly, because it's still the dad. Like Virginia's dad is right. is actually her dad. Like, are we suggesting that Virginia's dad is not, or is Virginia's mom Anne's mom? No, because Anne says that like your your mom was sleeping around town. That's why my mom left. So I think it's the dad yeah the dad is so and this is going back to your point like when you start to unravel it it all falls apart so maybe we shouldn't unravel it because 
Well, yeah, just, and I guess the other thing is Virginia is a couple years older than everyone else in this scenario, which is something they don't actually bring up. But she's because she's returned to school. She was right. out of school for the whole I'm in a coma and I'm in a, a, a metal brain donut and <laughs> they're putting shockwaves through me. Which is okay. And here's the other thing is like we're saying that these seniors don't remember something very significant in their small town that happened when they were freshmen. Right. It's not yeah. like this. Ha it's not like a Nightmare on Elm Street thing. Where it's like a long, 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 long time ago when we were children, you know, it's like they, they don't remember this girl who had this very bizarre accident happen. So, but anyways, the plot, it, it, that's part of what I love about it. It's like, this is bananas. Like, it's the kind of thing that I could try to piece together. And when you put all the puzzle pieces together, you're like, what the fuck is this? So then you just look at the kills, you know, and like, this is fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it doesn't, um, it doesn't make, uh, there are English words, but they don't make English sense. And, and, and like we're using a common language, but the, the conclusions we're drawing are all up mm. in the air. It doesn't. Right. Ultimately. And weirdly enough, this was entirely filmed with the idea that in the end, Virginia was actually possessed by her mother. And this is a plot to get revenge. And this it was a supernatural film. And <gasps> that was entirely reverse engineered at the last second to oh. make it this other thing uh-huh that which is why it, it feels like it comes out of left field because guess what this movie's all left field <laughs> that's right and that's why it feels so fun and it's one of my favorite things in movies where it's like a bananas thing is topped by an even more bananas thing and then oh my god this bananas thing and it just keeps like escalating until you just kind of have to sit back and laugh and you're like all right go like what you said just Take me away, you know? I'm happy yeah. on this ride, you know? Yeah, because I mean, you got a set piece full of a bunch of dead bodies around a birthday cake and then a banana's right. plot. What else do you need, and, you know? And more deeper than that, I mean, just bringing it back to maybe the more core psychoanalysis view of this, <laughs> is this idea of uh, a, a generational trauma and making it about you mm -hmm. instead of the person whose birthday it is. Now, we encountered this a lot, whether or not it is birthdays, deaths, marriages, divorces. Those are our signposts that we all pass, mm -hmm. whether we want to or not. Eventually, a friend, family member will get married. A friend, family member will have a baby. You will get divorced, whatever it is. There are these things that we all drive by and they become mm. road markers in which we judge our own journey by these other road markers. Mm -hmm. And when this happens, it is very easy. And I am not, uh, I am not innocent in this <laughs> of suddenly making this signpost about your journey, not the person who's actually it's for. And that is very much at the core of this very flimsy, goofy can exploitation slasher mm. is that Ginny's mom uh, cannot uh, unhinge herself from the idea of what this birthday party means in terms of the class structure she's married into. Now she's rich. Now she has everything. She didn't get the opportunity to be the wife in that house, but now she has a big house with a big cemetery in between the cottage and the main house. <laughs> and 
it's all about her mm-hmm. and she takes that to the umpteenth extreme by driving off a fucking bridge. <laughs> That's how far she takes it to be about her. And mm-hmm. that I think is a <laughs> relatable background concept that this movie sort of makes overly dramatic, but very, very real. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kids birthday parties, all birthdays have now become this gigantic source of stress for me because it is really hard to escape that. Like, am I planning this party right? And I mean, I'm talking about like, am I order? Like we had for my son's birthday, our pizza came like an hour and a half late. And I was like, oh shit, everyone hates me now. This is, I ruined the party. He's not going to have a good, it's just this massive source of stress when it really shouldn't be. And yeah, you're right. Because Jenny, she, and how ridiculous for her to have invited all of these people that don't even know her, you know, it's not like, oh, they hate me. This is a revenge plot. It's like, we're not even friends, you know? And that's the whole reveal. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it because there's so much else to think about that. That is kind of the bottom of it is that this mom just really wants to be accepted in her town. And this is just kind of a an elaborate revenge plot to, to make her daughter. And her daughter accepted. Like at the beginning, I remember she's talking to her mom's grave and she's like, you'd be so happy. They all like me now. And now I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> <laughs> Except now that I think about it, she's not even the one that kills them. It's all, yeah. <sighs> it's a lot of tangled balloon strings at a birthday party that I love. Um, well, I, I wanted to mention the drawbridge and this is a stupid thing, but I just loved that scene. That was such not at all what I was expecting in a slasher, but for her to (laughs) just this drag racing thing. And it gave me these old, like smoky vibes. Like I watched recently, what's the off season, I think movie with the big drawbridge and it, and it's like really smoky Island, which I was really into. So yeah. Uh, the new Mickey Keating movie. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I now I can't even remember if there is a drawbridge in it, but I really enjoyed it. it. There is. Is there? Yeah, okay, that's cool. What, that's what traps Jocelyn Donahue's character onto the island. I love that movie. I mean, that's a lot more confidently made. Um, that's a <laughs> more it's cocky and for a Mickey Keating movie or <laughs> I, I, a happy birthday to me. <laughs> uh, I love Mickey Keating's movie so. That one is fun. But it's just one of those things where, like, I love seeing something like a drawbridge in a movie, you know, that's not something I would encounter every day. But it's just like it's got this spooky quality. It's like this haunted bridge thing, except it's not supernatural at all. It just causes this death. But anyways, I just thought I was really into it. It's one of the many visual details. I love that they have a $20 bet that the one guy risks it all and probably does about $2,000 worth of damage to that Trans Am. Dude. To get over that for twenty dollars, I know, and I was, and he's gonna die. Like, I was like, "Holy shit, are they actually gonna jump this thing?" Like, it brought me back to Annie. That was the thing I was thinking about. So as soon as I see drawbridges, I'm like, "Well, everyone's gonna die because it's a drawbridge," you know. Um, <laughs> But I mean, man, he smashes the shit out of his car. And the whole thing, they're like, oh, she's new. That's why she's creeped out by this game. Like, no, this is a bad game. Like, y'all shouldn't be. This is very dangerous. Merely four to five years ago, a person died, you know, not making (laughs) that jump. Yeah, but that's that's going to make it all the more appealing, though. Uh, That's what I mean. You're going to be more knowing that there is that sense of danger there, especially when you're 
17, 18 years old and you have absolutely no sense of your own mortality and yeah. nothing can ever hurt you. Well, if you're, you're super rich more, also. Yeah. You're going to be <laughs> much more prone to kind of make that jump. Now, how do you two feel about the psychologist character in this motion picture? Because Oh, you mean Dr. David? slasher films have a, a terrible uh, history of the, the psychology and analysis uh, profession. And I'm not sure this one does it any better there is a there's a weird vibe between jenny and any adult man in this uh -huh. thing where there there's nothing more frightening than jenny's dad saying good night at the bottom <laughs> of the stairs like where did that come from and uh -huh. then she has this this analyst who practically lives with her constantly donning a disco medallion <laughs> Like you're, you are interviewing a child, like you are having psychological conversations and deep analysis with a child. And you're like, but I also need four buttons undone because this, <laughs> this chesticle needs to breathe, baby. Totally. Yeah. It gave me a lot of those like Twin Peaks vibes with the, the, glasses, <laughs> the red and blue glasses, you know? <laughs> Sure. It's a conversation starter, you know? Um, yeah. And, and like they're having a session while she is asleep in her bedroom and he's just kind of creepy sitting in the corner. Like, yeah, in I, a and dark I, bedroom. Yeah. Right. I yeah. I can't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, As how, Mike how often are you disco interviewing <laughs> wet patients? I mean, this is. Your, where does your therapist do sessions? <laughs> In your bathroom, right? Right. Listen, yeah. before before teleconferencing, I was con I was always waking up on a bathroom floor, soaking wet, and then <laughs> calling my psychologist over for a nice sesh. Right. That you call by their first name, also. Yes. You know, it's like yes. um, I kept mixing him and the dad wait, 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 up. What? You don't. What do you call your therapy? Oh, I. You know, I do call my therapist by her first name. Okay. So I guess that's a good point. Not that weird. Yeah. It's not that I mean, weird, but it is I weird. I think all of my clients call me Sir Buttercup, but I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, really? that's a me thing. That's well, listen, necessarily a, <laughs> you earned that title. You might as well, you know. I, I you know, grad school, you know, I got that from grad school. I got, I earned that degree. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't go to eight place. years of evil Buttercup school to be called no. Mr. Buttercup. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good point because it's, it isn't the first name that is really inappropriate it's, it's just everything this, else it's everything else yes it's it's but he's just lying to the police for her that was great yeah. covering up crimes like that is <laughs> i mean taking doctor patient care. confidentiality to the whole i do does he have money in the whole brain donut scam is that what it comes down to like he sunk his fortunes into this electronic brain donut and is like if she gets out of this academy and into college will earn so much money from the vc you know influx <laughs> of cash or whatever the canadian alternative of this is well um, i mean is this what like systemic health care is you know like nationalized health care like, <laughs> you know my my only it. brush with systemic health care in canada <laughs> was when i was visiting my grandmother in calgary we were going to move her to uh, a a retirement home which she thrived at, lived till over a hundred. When we oh, wow. I came to visit her for, for that, she's like, "It's nice to see you, but I've got a canasta game to go to. Good for you." <laughs> I'm up there, my gallbladder blows up, oh, and gosh. so I'm just keeling over in pain. 
and they take me to the intake <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, what we're going to do is just going to go in there, yank that gallbladder out and zip zap zoom. And I'm like, that would be neat. Here's the deal. A, I'm American. B, I have no health insurance. I'm unemployed. <laughs> I've been living abroad in Japan for two years and I just uh, don't have it together. And they're like, whoa, 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 Run back the idea of not having health insurance. It was almost as if I had told them I have green blood. That just, it had never occurred to them that one of the, these people would arrive in their ER and they're like, we're going to give you some drugs and send you back to California. Okay. <laughs> <That's> pretty- <laughs> They'll take care. They'll take care of you. Yeah. I, we wouldn't even know how to charge you. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, and it's so interesting, like that this whole thing is an experiment also, you know, like I was fascinated by that as the, this unfolds, you know, cause what it really is, is like repressed memories and <clears throat> like a traumatic brain injury, right? Like yeah. the experimental thing is rebuilding the brain tissue so that she can remember. Is that what? I, I believe that her memories, the, the synapses that were severed in this <laughs> <laughs> boating accident on in top a- of a <laughs> car accident. <laughs> Are, are now reconnecting and these memories are being revealed to her. And wouldn't you know it at the right exact time for her best friend to engage in this elaborate revenge plot. Dude. And that was one of the things that I was really impressed by is um, how connected, like as much as I said, it doesn't feel coherent or it feels like very disjointed. Like the flashbacks are very connected to the, the, like what she needs to find these memories. Just the fact that her friend happened to be floating by in water and that triggers her water. It's just so funny. Or like the frog experiment. (laughs) That was an experiment. Yeah. And, I mean, it makes sense that it would happen that way if Virginia is the killer. But the fact that it is totally disconnected is just so bizarre, which is one thing that I love about it. You know, it's, it's like truth in advertising. It is y- actually bizarre. Yeah. And it's like, which, OK, and I want to talk about that, too. But like one of my favorite things about like 90s sitcoms, particularly Frasier, I think does this very well, is like. These things where if if people just had like a five minute conversation, like the entire plot would unravel and like everybody just Mm -hmm. be happy, you know, but what but it's like the elaborate deception and ruses that everybody makes to try to like resolve their pain or their trauma is what makes it so interesting. Like a lot of this is just unnecessary, but it's so much fun. It's decadent. It's like putting a whole bunch more like we had a birthday party last night and it was this beautiful cake with candy bar pieces and like bonbons just stuck on top of the cake. It's like, you don't need that. You've already got a cake, but that makes it so much better. You know, just extra candy, you know? Um, But I wanted to talk about these six murders because I, it's, it's like a list of just these really, really cool set pieces and really interesting kind of accidental and quotation marks, final destination style, except planned kind of things. So we've got the first one is the the razor blade in the car, which was very like how it gave me a lot of Annie and Halloween vibes at first, you know, it's which very was... hard to choke somebody. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've read <laughs> uh, allegedly. 
if, yes, if the FBI is listening, uh, yeah. this is what I've heard. And, but this person is also like, we will learn is hauling bodies off left and right and, and caving up giant barbells. Mm-hmm. But the, the concept that, that, uh, that she could stalk this person in this garage and then have the, Oh, thank goodness. It's you reveal and gloves. Mm-hmm. All of it feels yeah very Halloween. And this is obviously the slasher genre very reactionary it all comes mm-hmm. back to that so i think they were gonna like here's something you're familiar with we're gonna start mm-hmm. you at halloween and then this ain't your daddy's sort of <laughs> attitude arrives uh, i just like that that scene she does something that i i don't understand why people who are getting choked don't do more often and that's like fake being dead and then run away uh, right. so i really like that but what i didn't understand immediately after she's like i will run one car away and then look back and like are you playing coy like are you playing hard to get like is this some sort of like do you, is this a ritual kink that you and this person engage in where you because she would literally run one car away and then stop and be like eh, and i'm like all right now you deserve to die now when you get whatever is coming to you because you're just playing hard to get but easy no. to kill. It's a Friday the thirteenth phenomenon that would happen every so once in a while where someone would be presented with a like the killer right in front of them, and then they go, It's been a good run. I give <laughs> up. Just stand there. Yep. <laughs> or yeah. So yep. I yeah, I do like I, I do enjoy parts of that scene and it, it just it cracked me up whenever she would stop. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. <laughs> like, I just I love that still it's there. set up. I love that it's set up by her meeting the headmistress in the middle of the night walking her bulldog. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when she trips over the leash, it makes this Indiana Jones level whip crank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where did that mm-hmm. come from? I really what love that. What is happening? Bulldog. I love, you know, appropriate of nothing. The scene where like the headmistress is on her phone in her office and the dog is just sitting in his chair just like doing king shit i lo- absolutely mm-hmm. want more of that dog in this movie like Again, one of the best characters in the movie yeah. is that dog great takes yeah. always mm-hmm. delivering face we love it he was a good boy he was yeah i was immediately in because that that is the kind of thing that i really want from a slasher and then it just goes in all these other directions speaking of okay and so then the next one i think is the Oh gosh, what is the next kill? I can't remember. I think you have to go all the way to the uh, barbell scene, I think. No, Etienne dies. Etienne, that's right. The the bicycle, which reminded me of, um, what's it? Pet Cemetery 2, which I know was after this. But that man, that's a gruesome scene too. And so apparently his head goes through the spokes of the- The, There's a a Fangoria shot. Um, and I'm sure it's, it is what you're in the movie. You kind of see an out of focus look at ATN kind of slumping forward. Mm-hmm. The Fangoria, they had, you know, dress it up and hit the lights and you could actually see the mangled head. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome, you know, Ooh. and you wish mm-hmm. you just had one flash of that mm-hmm. sort of at the end instead of the out of focus. I think it got, just got edited or, Columbia got nervous, you know, Mm -hmm. it it was a wild west time. I just don't think the MPAA, when they approved Friday the 13th, thought this is going to make $60 million. 
Like mm-hmm. th- they thought this is going into a trash hole. It'll go <laughs> around the, the drive-in circuit and we'll never hear of this again. Mm-hmm. And instead it became a huge phenomenon. And as a result, they kind of like, well, well, we had need, need to hit the brakes on this. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you got full body werewolf transformations coming and giant goopy aliens making spiders out of decapitated heads. Mm-hmm. And the, the toothpaste was out of the, you know, tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We discovered we could, did we ask if we should? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so glad it's coming back. That, that yes. real gore is coming back. And weirdly enough, television kind of did it it's the walking dead it's Mm -hmm. it's game of thrones it's all these premium cable channel shows that were like here's like the grossest thing you can see and everyone would talk about it and you're like Mm -hmm. yeah it's fun makeup is fun it's a cool magic trick everyone knows it's fake it's cool (laughs) everyone well, and so I have long been, and I've talked about this a lot, like I've been a gore avoider because I have this scar phobia. I don't like blood. I don't like skinlessness. And I've recently really started to embrace it. And I'm now really into it. Like I'm kind of going through the French extremity films now, which I know is a different kind of thing, but yeah. I'm finding that like I have built this up in my head a lot bigger than it actually was. And as long as I kind of just know when to look away at the right moment, like I'm good, you know, and I like I watched Irreversible last night, which is again completely different well, thing. Birthday but, party like, followed by Irreversible. What is it? Yep. <laughs> what is happening in your house? <laughs> Man, Corey has been going to bed, and I'm just like, what can I watch that he would never watch with me? And that was one of them. But yeah, it was. So I'm I'm really starting to dig it, and it because it is really like artistic and interesting, and not nearly as bad and disgusting as I thought. Now, I'm still not sure I'm ready for Dead Alive. Like, that might be, you know, but I watched Martyrs and I survived, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. This one did give me the house that Jack built vibes, which is something that does really disturb me where it, like, grinds away pieces of a body, you know? Yeah. Um, which was kind of upsetting, but, like, in a good way because I didn't have to see too much of it. Um, and then I think my favorite one was the bodybuilder scene just because it's so, so contrived, but so awesome and then the fact that she drops it on his dick i was like oh yes yeah. <laughs> it's I, just I chef's kiss oh, oh and so then good. oh yeah yeah and i want to shout out tragedy girls too if anyone hasn't seen that because there is another bodybuilder death scene in that which has mm-hmm. got kind of the same fun energy this movie has a weirdly long tail for something that people claim was not influential You're telling me that the your next crew didn't see the end of this film and just make a note. I I don't I I would uh, doubt that entirely (laughs) and good for them because this is the best kind of film to crib from one that people have barely heard of is Mm -hmm. it's just in the mist in the shadows. You can also like listen this is a huge influence on Scream. What is Scream, the screenplay, and Randy, who's terminally wrong about everything. What does (laughs) he shout out? Fucking prom night. Prom night in comparison to this? Screw off. Like, I love disco (laughs) dancing and everything. Don't get me wrong. Uh But this is is a movie with red herrings. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, the whole like head on the plate, like with was Alfred the mouse guy who just yeah. happens to have a recreated body or like head of the person who's just mysteriously disappeared. That was I loved that red herring. It's like this is totally ridiculous. Is the Bond villain we never got? <laughs> like the only thing missing is her house is the the empty shell of a volcano. <laughs> Uh uh-huh. yeah she even has her little one minute i'm gonna explain everything and why and this yeah. is why oh, she monologues yeah it's perfect. she was awesome yeah um the one okay who was supposed to get the axe in the head uh that would be lisa langlois uh connexploitation royalty lisa langlois she kind of has the short clara bow haircut uh she's and the she, one who brings the pizza she's the, bring the, the... Pizza, the the present that's all wet that mm. dad <laughs> After discovering the dead psychologist in his wife's coffin being digged up, it's like, hey, what's going on? She kind of points with her eyes towards the cabin, which she's obviously gone into and discovered uh-huh. all of her dead friends there. But she wasn't one of the six who was at the birthday party. Uh-huh. So somehow, I don't know why they chose not to put an axe through her head, but she was supposed to get an axe through the head. Yeah, I was having a hard time figuring out how she died or what was up with that. So that makes sense that it was She's kind of just frozen editing. in catatonic fear in the rain. I mean, it happens. Just feel, you know? To feel something, I suppose. <laughs> Her brain is broken. <laughs> oh, um, and then, okay, and then we got Anne at the very end. I guess that is the sixth one. Is there anything we need? Yeah, we don't, we don't see our taxidermist Alfred get it. Um, oh he yeah! Somehow mysteriously dies he off gets, camera. No, he gets it. He is in the cemetery. Oh, is it he in the like, cemetery? Oh, that's stalking, right. With the shears that have their yeah. own decorative box. Yeah, because he's stalking the girls. Like he's like you know he's a great red herring because he's just like a creep anyway. Yeah. Um, and they they do a lot of work into putting making him look like the killer. And this is like one of the few whodunit slasher movies or a you get your killer well, or you get who you think is the killer like about an hour into it. And then you see the human killer, like kind of just attack everyone. But also it's like one of the rare slashers where you actually have a female killer. Mm-hmm. Like, that is not something that you get a lot of. That's right. Which I can't believe it. I'm not the one that yeah. brought that up because I love that. <laughs> and between like barbells and shears and knives, like Carol Clover will have a fielding mm-hmm. this, you know, it's <laughs> just, <laughs> veritable hey, hey, hey. orgy of penile stand-ins for you know this I mean, the one person whoever it was who wrote like oh i can't believe they're putting sex into slasher movies in reaction to x right well here's where are you what, uh, what i'll, I'll say what, this what, and yes. Jenna, i know you love i know you love that book but like the idea that like these sharp instruments are stand-ins for the the penis i'm like what are you supposed to murder someone with like he was beaten to death with some soft, silly putty, you know? So <laughs> like, yes, you know, like it just happens to be that the things you're killing people with are, tend to be sharp, you know, that and yeah. long. So it's like, you can't, uh, I flicked soda top tabs at somebody and eventually I got them in the right spot and killed them. Just, yeah. The thing that I like about today. that, cause there's, <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about that is that it's more to me, it's more the proximity, you know, that you have to be so close and intimate, you know, but there are a lot of things that I do love about that book. But there are also some things that, no. that were, you know, it was written, what, 30 years ago at this point. So it's, it, there's there's a lot of truth in it. 
there it's is. obviously these films are a reflection of a patriarchal society. They're, they're not made in a vacuum, right? Uh-huh. So that's always going to be there. But when people bring up the whole final girl needs to be a virgin Randy uh-huh. psychoanalysis of this, I just have to shout from the rooftops. What is it about Lori's in Halloween? What is it about her intact hymen that makes her able to survive an encounter with Michael Myers? And the mm-hmm. answer is nothing. Right. She has, she, there's one guy in high school she thinks maybe I'd go out on a date with. She's just a late bloomer in that regard. It's a facet of her character. And mm-hmm. it is not a repeatable event. Friday the 13th, the, your main girl, the reason she survives is because pot makes her sleepy. That's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. and she, she, everyone else gets murdered around her because she had some weed playing strip Monopoly. She was too tired to have sex with a girl who proposed. Things are just getting interesting. And she's mm-hmm. like, I, I'm going to fall on this couch and not wake <laughs> up. And then Mrs. Voorhees just kills everyone else while she's asleep. Right. Mm-hmm. She's the well, easiest think- target. That's why she's the fucking one left at the end. There's a difference between, you know, we're unaware that there's some sort of danger around us. We're just having a typical Friday night, which would involve relations and, oh shit, there's a killer around us right now. We should bone. Like, that's not typically what you see in a slasher movie. It's not typically like there's some sort of inherent danger. Let's strip off our clothes and and rub up against one another. It's typically you think everything is a-okay and you're caught unawares and you know, my understanding, like what, how Carpenter's explained Laurie Strode surviving is like, she's the only one whose brain's not otherwise occupied. So she's more alert. She's more aware. And she's, mm. kinda, she's already protecting yeah. kids, yeah. Mm-hmm. though they're already under her care. So mm-hmm. yes, she is looking out for other people because that's the job she's taken at this particular point. And Annie's not really great at it. She's, right. she can barely wash her pants. So <laughs> yeah. You could know. you imagine coming home and just finding your babysitter like half naked in the middle of your house, wandering around, like, uh, wearing I, your I, husband's I, shirt, you know, <laughs> like, mm. just and the other thing is the weird confluence of asses and windows and Halloween movies is also <laughs> something that needs to be examined way more than whether or not Lori was a virgin. Right. Totally. Uh, yeah. What I think is most interesting about like final girl theory and like really digging into slashers and female uh, female characters is not so much what I can take about what women are, but like what society or culture at the time of these films kind of understood women and female motivations. And like, if I look, I really hadn't thought about this movie having a female killer, which is shocking to me because that's usually totally my jam. But I think it's probably just because I just watched it for the first time. But like, if we look at what the motivation is, it's like to be popular, you know, or to be accepted, which is something I think we all struggle with, but I could see it being read as like, a feminine kind of thing. Like I want to be accepted by this man. I want to fit into this. I want to take this role of rich mom, you know, or rich daughter. And I want to make my mom happy, which is just, so I don't know. I'm pulling a bunch of threads that I might dig into later, but it's really, it's interesting, you know, what, like what we think of women at the time, you know? Right. And the roles they play in society or, Mm -hmm. or how the headmaster views this group of, elite academics but because some of them are rich they're Mm -hmm. getting away with everything and she has no power it's kind of like 
I don't know. You're the headmaster of a school. I think you have some amount of power. You just don't want to use it, which brings up the class element of this film. Mm -hmm. It's just very text rich mm -hmm. in a movie that also just looks at Melissa Sue Anderson in her bra for a straight <laughs> three minutes. Dude, with the most generic disco music ever, I kept waiting for it to be a song that I recognized, you know, because it's just, it's got that like elevator almost a song, you know, kind of yeah. quality to it. You know? It's just incidental music in a Chips episode you didn't watch. I don't know why she owns a copy <laughs> totally. of it. Right. One thing she turned on a radio, but yes, the revolution of actually having the money to place a song by an actual band in a movie now, uh, I'm glad for that change. But then yes, you'll never too. have this again. It is a beautiful time capsule. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things like I, I hear Mike, your criticism that it could go, it could be cut, but I kind of dug the extended, like the bell tower scene, like that's an easy cut for me, but I loved it, you know, cause it's so like, what are we doing here? And to, for it not to actually lead to his death. But you get like the soccer match and the, so, and the motorcycle rally, uh, dirt bike scene, Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you get like a lot of things that kind of like repeat themselves mm -hmm. over and over. So there's a lot of like an hour 51 is a, Big ask for a movie, especially in a slasher where there are only six kills. Uh, if I'm watching a slasher for an hour fifty one, like I, I will be honest, like I want some, I want some wall to wall stuff going on there. And there's just too much. Like when I'm watching this movie, I'm like, am I watching a slasher movie or am I watching Rad? Am I watching like Stealing Harvard? Uh, like, am I watching some sort of prep school drama? Am I watching a bad, like, psychodrama? It was just too much for me. And, mm -hmm. like, I'll admit, like, and we'll talk about it maybe when we do the uplifting moment. Like, I'm definitely in a weird headspace this week where, like, mm -hmm. I don't have any patience right now if something's on. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm my last nerve is now being exposed and flipping around at this point. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and it's interesting because I think... So many of the horror movies I grew up watching, I had to sneak and record from TV. And so mm -hmm. I think of movies in two hour blocks. So like for me, two hours just seems kind of like a standard movie because I think I'm always factoring in the commercial time, you know, or like the edited for television. Like this is the film runtime. So like I whenever I see a 90 minute movie, I'm like, oh, it's going to be short. But mm -hmm. I just kind of mentally block out two hours. But I guess that's just kind of. My like I used to wake up at one in the morning and like set the recording for these movies that my parents would never let me watch on like USA after dark. Would or you something. watch the commercials if you recorded? No, but that was okay. how much time I knew I needed on no. the VHS, okay. you know, or that was like the the runtime of what I needed to set the VCR right. for. So technically, yeah. if you're not watching the commercials, you're stealing. <laughs> I know, man. I made some mixtapes where I yourself? taped the commercials. I and I also that got was, a lecture um, at youth group one time about that from back in the day. Steppenwolf. <laughs> there was TiVo, and then there was its competitor, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the competitor. But they had a, they were the I first one with a quick with a quick skip button. With TiVo, you had to plug in a, a cheat to get the mm. 30 second skip, and networks and advertisers argued that was the equivalent of stealing because they <laughs> yeah. paid for the show through advertising. Like they actually brought that to suit. I remember. Oh, well, how the times have changed. Uh, back in the day. <laughs> Pep 
commercials of yesteryear. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, is there anything else we want to mention before we move on to our uplifting moment that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, man. Uh, all the medical horror in this is so amazing. Ooh. We've 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 talked mm-hmm. about that. Um, Even when it's pretty clear that it's not actually the back of our head. Like, what'd you say? <laughs> donut brain, I think. <laughs> I Yeah. But, you know, my brain fills in those gaps. Like, it, mm. it, still, when oh, like, totally. the brain is swelling, we got to close her up. And it's like cracking through skull pieces. <laughs> like oh. Someone's behind the scenes pumping it up with a bicycle pump. Um, mm-hmm. It's mm. it's it's wackadoo. The, the only movie we didn't really discuss, and it's, it should be said. Shish kebab is not oh, a midnight yes. snack. This is a fucking meal. Okay. Uh-huh. When you are dicing up four different vegetables and cubing meat and mm-hmm. roasting all of that on the actual item they're going to serve it on, that's not a midnight snack. You that's don't have that just you don't have that ready to go. Right. That's not how shish kebab works. But I mm-hmm. I do love this sort of retconning like Oh, he was so stoned. He didn't even know he was making out with somebody wearing a plastic fucking mask. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and also and that's not how you should eat a shish kebab. Of, huh? You should, you should take the meat and the vegetables off of the shish kebab onto yes. a bed of rice, ideally. Right. And eat mm. it that way. It's dangerous yes. as, as evidenced in the movie. I like to chew around the meat. Like you hold a shish kebab and you almost eat it like corn on the cob. Like a corn dog? Yeah. (laughs) And you kind of like bite around it. And then you like, after you eat one piece of meat, you like slide the vegetable up with your teeth and then pop it Mm. off. I prefer that because otherwise the skewer is, you could make it without the skewer. So I don't know. I'm, I'm more of a fan of like eating it right off the bob. I'm Make a little surprised given the time period that this movie takes place that it was not fondue forks rather than totally because fondue, fondue forks you are eating that meat direct you are using that as a fork yeah mm-hmm. so. the funny thing with that kill is it takes up literally a half a second on mm-hmm. yeah, like, it's the big thing you remember from the poster but it is probably the quickest kill in the whole movie it's and yeah. the poster does not feature Matt Craven, the person who's getting killed mm. in that. It's featuring a person who looks like the lead of uh, an American werewolf in London, mm-hmm. but not. Mm-hmm. It's the Bobo, you know, dollar store version <laughs> of that gentleman. And yeah. I think they just like, you don't know who's going to get it, but I'm sure everyone in the theater once Shish Kebab came out. And then the very <laughs> idea that she made this meal doesn't even get to enjoy it because she gets the magic chloroform. Again, you're Saw right. Should cut yeah. this movie a check. Mm-hmm. So much has been stolen from it. <laughs> it really is. And it's because it's such like essentialist, like iconic, like beat for beat for beat, you know, just kind of going through all of these different ways we can kill people, you know? Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I adore it. I adore it. I want a shish kebab now. Corey brought home some shish kebab sticks for us to grill s'mores on. Or roast marshmallows. Like, that stick's going to catch on fire, Corey. You're sticking a wooden <laughs> stick into the fire. That's not going to work. You get the so. retractable forks. That's what that's, I told that's him. That's what we I have know. on the beach when we have the right. fire pit. You I know. It's get like that retractable gonna... thing. You can, do, you can do hot dogs. And I've, I've grilled the Italian sausage on that bad boy. I mean, it's very versatile. 
Nice. It would be terrible to kill somebody with, but luckily yeah. I'm not in that position anytime. So. <laughs> That's right. Well, you just need some magic chloroform and some experiments on your brain, and then <laughs> you should be good. <laughs> we all need some experiments on our brain, Jen. That's why I know, we're here. I think you're right. <laughs> well, I'm doing the work. Exactly. Yeah. Is, it, is that what podcasting is? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, now let's move. Speaking of experimenting on our brains, um, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is where we share any grounding or coping techniques and any self-care that have been particularly effective for us. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough days and tough moments. And self-care is anything that makes us feel good or feel better. And man, I don't know. It's tax season and I hate tax season and I don't know. I've been not taking care of myself very well at all, but I treated myself to a animal spirit oracle deck, which is part of my tarot thing and it's really cool and I really enjoy it a lot and I've just been pulling an animal spirit card in the morning and then journaling about it and it's been really cool and I put it on my desk I'm looking at it now and it's nice so that was my self-care I treated myself to that thing but yeah I'll cook super quick uh it's just been like a really rough couple of weeks and by extension really a rough month just like I'm completely burned out between the jobs and like, it just never seems to slow down. And even the things that I really enjoy doing, and usually I find are a piece of my self-care, like doing this and my other show, like right now feel like a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just find myself like not in taking the same level of enjoyment that I usually do. Yeah, a problem with one of our pets that we're going to probably have to put down tomorrow. And it's mm -hmm. just been a rough couple, been a rough few weeks with the kid here. Mm -hmm. And I know the things I should do to like pull out of the funk, but like, man, it's just really hard right now to actually do those things. So if like mm -hmm. this episode, and I would say the previous one, I just haven't felt super engaged. And I'm kind of hoping I can pull myself out of that funk or. Uh, if need be, if I have to like step back for a, a complete horror episode or two to sleep, maybe do that to take care of myself. Just remind mm -hmm. myself, this is supposed to be for funsies. Mm -hmm. But it's just been, uh, you know, and like I, I, I don't want to take it out on anyone. I certainly don't want to take it out on anyone at home. But like, mm -hmm. I also don't want to completely isolate myself either. So I'll leave it at that for right now. And I'm. <laughs> Sure, if I can like do a few things, we'll be back on track, but it just feels like the grind never ends. And like right now, everything feels like a fucking grind. Mm -hmm. And I'm just getting like completely run down to a nub. Yeah, I feel that. Anyway, happy sorry. spring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but life is so intrusive that way. This is my busiest season on mm -hmm. TV. It always is. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we lost our pet of nearly 17 oh. years. I'm this sorry. is, you know, this was the dog my son grew up with. Like mm. he's never known life with it. Mm. It is the one thing we've kept alive outside of our marriage, mm. you know, the longest. And everything going through that was so traumatic, just heart crushing. And trying to keep each other on an e on any level of an even keel or just be allowed to uh, experience that pain and that loss 
too because without it if we keep shoving it away you can't ever really process it mm-hmm. um and we're all at various levels at, at any given time there are relatives coming down with covid because you know they are all mm. double vaxxed and boosted and even still like you just don't want bad things to happen to good people or even bad mm-hmm. people i just don't like any part of it mm-hmm. but it does feel constant it does feel ever present mm-hmm. and so um i on occasion will just have just hug my kid extra hard and just take that moment in um and if you don't have a kid to hug find someone to (laughs) hug um it's not a cure-all not by any stretch but the reality of just being here now and remembering that here and now is not always the depth that you're in Mm -hmm. um is it it doesn't cure everything but it it does give you at least one step up just one and Mm -hmm. it's not about perfection it's about progress and so if we are trying to lift ourselves up even if it's that one step if it's that taking off one week if it's doing this if it's doing that whatever that is that self-care truly is important and Mm -hmm. uh, i wish i had learned it earlier in life but i'm glad that i have been able to be in a therapeutic situation for the past year plus Mm -hmm. to be able to process some of these huge things like they they really do weigh on you. They really mm-hmm. do take the wind out of your sails. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so to, you know, I, I, it's, occasionally you need to hear that someone else is going through that shit. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're all taking it in one way, yeah. shape or form. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah I, I, while I am not entirely in your shoes, Mike, no one can be. Uh, I definitely walked that particular path as of late. It's just, it feels like it's never going to end. I mean, it feels Mm -hmm. like for the past couple of years, and then like there's a little bit of light at the Uh end of the tunnel, and then it's like, oh, it's a a train coming right at me, (laughs) you know? And at my Mm -hmm. day job, I feel like working in a school with like such high levels of poverty uh, and single parenthood, and like uh, language barriers and and uh, access and ex- just accessibility to the tools that like typical schools would get. You feel like you're typically you're just every day. It's like you've got the shovel in your hand and you're just shoveling poop against the tide over and over again. And you're like, man, just just give me a win. Just give me like one thing to turn things around so it feels all right to come in later mm-hmm. on today and it's just like the same conversations over and over again and you know at some point it's like i don't know how do you just be like fuck it i'm done mm-hmm. yeah so it's just been like i just i can feel the grumpiness today and i hate it and i know like <laughs> it's we're recording at 1 30 on a sunday and around five o'clock today i'm gonna get the typical sunday the sunday sads where i'm like oh man the weekend is already over so I don't know. We'll see. See what we can do uh, to kind of break out of that. Yeah, yeah. I've been feeling that with tax season. It, I just hate it. <laughs> but it. But the good thing about tax season, I know it's going to end. It's going to end mm-hmm. on April eighteenth this year, and then 
you know, they're not good. We would have known by now if they were going to extend it, but it's just like, but then I don't know. So much, so much of my shit is self-imposed, you know, I'm like, well, what am I going to take on to fill that void? Because I don't understand what not working all the time is, you know, and when that happens anyways, that's a whole other tangent, but yeah. Yeah. I think I've been trying to focus on just one thing that I can do today to kind of take care of myself. And even though I have 10 things I want to do in my head that I'm going to make myself feel bad about, if I can just do that one thing, like just make like today's lunch is a little healthier than it was yesterday, then sometimes I can, you know, feel good about that. But, you know, (sighs) well, we want to hear from you. Is it your birthday today? What kind of group did you hang out with in high school? What's your favorite way to eat from a skewer? Have you killed anyone today? (laughs) Or just what's on your mind? (laughs) You can answer these questions and more by following us on socials at PsychoAPod. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group, which is a private and moderated space to share about the things we talk about in the episodes or anything else that might be on your mind. And you can email us at PsychoAPod at gmail.com if you want to share privately. And if you have a spare moment, please leave us a rate and review on Apple iTunes. It helps other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. And thank you to those who have already left reviews. We haven't gotten any new ones in a while, but I really am appreciative to the people who have left them. It has. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to leave us a nice review, that would would be fun. Um, Okay. And our homework question for this week is, what is the worst or best birthday party that you have ever been to? So look out for that prompt on Saturday. Um, hopefully nobody died or were corpses when you showed up because that would be weird. Um, although if somebody did reveal themselves to have been your evil twin sister all along, we want to hear about that. So, um, Yes. And uh, what are we watching next? Well, we are continuing our topic of dreams. Last time we talked about Mulholland Drive and this we're following it up with something in the complete opposite direction. We are going to be watching A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, which I am so excited for. And there's only one scene I'm not excited for, which is the vain thing, but I'm sure I'll have thoughts about that. And for even more of us, Mike, what is going on in the world of Patreon? So it's now April. All of our March stuff is up. We just posted literally all our patron stuff by like the skin of our teeth. <laughs> I think March's bonus episode went up at like 11.45 on the 31st. Buzz, or the buzz, 30th, buzz. We got it. That's right. <laughs> Uh, but we did Yellow Jackets last month, uh, which all of our patrons have access to. Uh, we have our Medicine Chest episode up where Jen, Laura, and I uh, give our recommendations for folks of the middle tier. And then I did like a brief uh, treatment plan over the past month. And I'm tr- now I'm, I'm actually drawing a blank. That's where my brain is at over <laughs> what character, what movie I, I did. It was just a, a brief like 15-minute talk on... Uh, I believe schizophrenia and how it was portrayed in, yeah, that's where my brain is at right now, folks. It'll be and a nice surprise when they go to our remember. page. It'll be a nice <laughs> surprise for him and me when I eventually remember <laughs> it. But, you know, we, the other thing is this this month is uh, uh, the, the topic was picked by our patron, Andrew, who that's right. laid down the cash. He laid down 50 bucks to pick a movie and a topic. And we have... A bunch more of those now to go through. We have at least four or five more to get scheduled uh, because we've had a bunch of patrons sign up for that, including we want to give a big thanks to William and to Mary, uh, who both individually signed up for that particular tier over the past two weeks. 
Um, so thank you to both of them. So we'll be reaching out to you and getting your um, topic chosen. So thank you for that. We also want to thank uh, Lizzie and Keaton for jumping on at the $10 level for patrons. Oh, and you. also thank you to Chris for jumping on at the $5 level uh, for patrons. So we've had like, a bunch of people Thanks, in the Chris. past week or so, um, and we really do appreciate that. It mm-hmm. helps it helps us put the show together. Eventually, it'll help kind of just pay for the hosting and recording and editing and all that fun stuff. It can help us with some of the research material. So if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast uh, and sign on today. Tiers start as low as three bucks in every tier gets you at least uh, a bonus show every month where we have a loose ch- looser chat about a, a movie or a tv show we have a lot of fun with it it is really fun yeah well let's wrap up with some plugs patrick where can we find you online and what is coming up for kill by kill so we're in the midst of april uh april on kill by kill of course it's animal attack april and that <laughs> is where uh every single one of our villains goes chomp 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 on human flesh <gasps> And uh, we try to make sense of it because these (laughs) characters don't have human motivations, but they still want love. They would like to give you a hug with their mouth. With their teeth. (laughs) Uh, So we're we're doing lots of fun stuff here. Uh, The beginning of the month, we uh, talked about Graveyard Shift. (laughs) Um, A movie that is certainly interesting in the accent department. Barely has a plot. Mm-hmm. Um, and is a very funny episode. And then we talked about alligator and our good friend, Ramon, the alligator, who's just too big. He's just too big. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's not wrong. It, you know, yeah. he didn't ask to eat all these dead pets that were filled with growth hormone. He needs to eat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we have lots of, uh, cool movies that are coming up on top of that. You know, we, we try, we don't try not to repeat animals so Mm -hmm. uh you got yourself some rats you got some bats you've got some alligators a shark um so yes uh we're we're trying to spread it out of course uh people can find us um uh, online at uh you know wherever your podcatcher is just dial in kill by kill it's me and gina radcliffe um we talk about horror movie characters in the order in which they die hence kill by kill (laughs) and uh twitter at kill by kill pod we're on facebook and instagram we got ourselves a patreon too and uh, lots of fun stuff there for people and i'm just really excited for the both of you to talk about dream warriors a, a film of course we all know is starring craig wasson uh <laughs> and you think oh patrick what are you talking about that movie doesn't star craig wasson count the amount of lines he has he's the star <laughs> great movie uh-huh. but people don't remember how much of that film's territory is taken up by craig wasson wonder breading it out of both hands it's just insane that a movie that good has a central performance that unnecessary and unlikable it's wow i prefer call him craig the glue wasson because he holds that movie together just through his the sheer force and impact of his personality and charisma 
the balls of that movie to bring back Nancy as a, a character and then go, you go into a dream because that's your expertise. Mm-hmm. Craig Wasson, you stay out of the dream and try to fight a ghost skeleton. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he wins the day. Da- come on. Like, it is such a wild misfire of a plot device. And yet that movie is hella fun to watch. It is a really good nightmare movie. If you were to say that was my favorite, I can completely get on board with it. It's not mine, but I can understand it. But Craig Wasson. Oh my God. <laughs> my wow. My hot take in the Elm Street series is probably my favorite series as a whole unless scream is usurped it at this point because scream five was just that good but the elm street series is my favorite franchise and nancy is not the best final girl in that franchise it's alice from four and five by a country mile love me alice she's so underappreciated and yet her brother dies in a ghost dojo no well, a, after fighting gets, an invisible man that's what he gets after pooping to, like, falls asleep on a toilet that's what he gets for trying to crib christian slater style okay you don't <laughs> come at true. the king you don't come at them by extension jack nicholson it's grand larceny What's yes <laughs> okay that's all i'm gonna say i love that, that franchise just absolutely it's so wild it's just so <laughs> these very fun movies have such incredible misfires in the middle of them and you just like you don't quite remember because you remember all the amazing stuff and then everyone's like wait a second this guy died in a in a sensual dojo fighting an invisible man they ran out of money so hard that the the freddy krueger the person who can become anything's like you know what i'm not even in this scene today showing up today I don't I have to be here. I think four is the best sequel of the bunch. I, I, my rank. I think if you, if I remember correctly in my definitive rankings in the pod of the pendulum, catch it wherever you get your podcast. When we did our <laughs> rankings, mm-hmm. I had Dream Master is the shocking, like number two in the franchise behind the original, like ahead of the Dream Warriors. I don't. Uh, it think has some really fun fires. characters, and you're not forced to, yeah. like. The one detriment the of three scene. is that you're talking about kids who are in vulnerable psychological mm-hmm. states and have, you know, chemical dependency and all of these other things that are on top of them. And then they're like, oh, by the way, here's some Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Also, you're not in charge of your sleep schedule. Like there's a lot going after yeah. that. There's there's some dark energy locking a nun in a. I don't know, mm-hmm. man. Um, that movie takes some left turns. Uh, but uh, why does the wizard die in a hallway? Uh, we're not here to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 3. But if be. you want to hear us really, rant about it, we have movie? three whole episodes on that. <laughs> oh. Well, and Mike, you covered it on a, a podcast, right, Mike? Oh, yeah. Podcast? We covered Elm Street 3, Pod of the Pendulum. We covered that. I think that's like our number five or six most downloaded episode too. It's in the top 10 for sure. And where can we find that podcast? Everywhere you get your podcast, Pod and the Pendulum. We are finally wrapping up uh, Child's Play. We have two movies to go, Cult of Chucky and the remake, both of which I really, because a lot of Child's Play was a first time watch for me as a franchise Mm -hmm. and like, shocking how consistent that series is for far and away 
the 80 slasher that mm-hmm. has done the best to keep itself alive. Yeah. It has morphed and transformed itself and doubled back into a journey mm-hmm. of how a serial killer can, you know, learn to feel yeah. and care about other people. Well, like, holy shit, that is the through line of that well, franchise. <laughs> what a wild swing. Uh, I, it's just, I don't, people, people just don't give it enough credit. It no. is the top. I'm sorry, it's, Halloween, it's, all these things have individual better movies, but there's mm-hmm. no better franchise yeah. than Child's Play, Chucky. It's, it's almost like having one creative mind, really two when you add the producer, David Kirshner, but having Don Mancini shepherd every movie and then the TV show and like really get into the lore and find what works and doesn't work. And then also have him be very ears to the ground about what fans do and don't want as opposed to what he thinks would be great. It's almost like having that would make something uh, work for 30 years as opposed to getting tired and stale where you have to send characters into space. But <laughs> Great knitwear in that movie. I think you're forgetting all the fantastic knitwear. <laughs> well, you know, I'm Jason a fan X. of sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you can find me at the Losers Club podcast talking about lots of hot people in knitwear also and Stephen King occasionally. And you can also find me co-hosting the White Ladies in Crisis podcast with one Gina Radcliffe, also of Kill by Kill pod and Joe Lipset of Horror Queers. And Gina chose the movie for next month. We um, by now our episode on species should probably be out, which was a lot of fun. And then Gina chose one of my favorites. I'm so excited to talk about it. We're going to be talking about the Suspiria remake and oh, I am so excited lucky, because lucky. I love that movie. I know. I can't wait. Yeah. Um so yeah, follow me at Jim Ferratu on Twitter and Instagram and yeah, that's me. Oh, and writing and doing stuff. Just I don't know. Follow me and you'll find it. And yeah, and that's our episode on happy birthday to me. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. This was so much fun. I Thank love you so this much for movie. having me. I, I I I adore both of you, and uh, I I love this show, and I love the the other shows that you've been involved with, and what a, a fantastic community to be a, a mm-hmm. part of, and uh, to be asked here is an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Oh, well, that's so sweet. We are always welcome back. Absolutely, yes. Come back anytime, and that was so kind of you. Um, and listeners, thank you for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And we are all out of bubblegum.